This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Now and then, here and there, and always at SexPotComedy.com. Hello, welcome to the Narrator's Podcast. This is Mary. It's been a while since we've posted an episode. Between summer travel and tech troubles, we've gotten a bit off track, but we're back and excited for fall. This week, the Denver show takes on the theme Naked. As always, Denver shows are the, the third Wednesday of the month at Bumpport Theater, and San Diego shows are the second Tuesday of the month at Tiger Tiger Tavern. They start at 8 p.m. and are free, so please come on down and check it out. One of the things keeping us busy this summer is a two-part storytelling series at the Museum of Man, which is located in Balboa Park in San Diego. The second show takes place this Thursday, August 18th at 7 p.m. Museum Admittance will get you in, and the storytelling theme is chemistry. Visit museumofman.org for more information about that show. Next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. This episode features Irene Bonner, a first-time storyteller at the San Diego Narrators. Her story took place when she was just a kid, and it highlights, among other things, how terribly unreliable some adults can be. Thankfully, this event inspired her to put ink to paper, and we're lucky to get to hear it. This story was told on June 14, 2016, at Tiger Tiger Tavern in San Diego. The theme was ink. Oh, yeah, that's, that's good. That's weird hearing that echo. Thanks for coming. <laughs> All right. Um, when I was four, my mom asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I told her, I want to be a writer. When she asked me why, I told her, because I have stories in my head. Luckily, she didn't take that admission for psychosis and immediately bought me a journal. At first, I pretended to write sentences filling pages with squiggles and vague letters and pictures of ghosts. I liked the word boo because it was easy to spell. As I got a little older, I started to put my thoughts down in complete chunks, such as I like boo and happy new ye because spelling was really a tough one for me. By the time I was seven, I was writing about my day, activities I liked, mainly recess, where I usually played the dragon in a game of knights and dragons. I wrote about friends I made and fantasies I had about being a little girl thief who was really a princess who was kidnapped as a child, but when she finds out she's a princess, she rejects that life because she likes being a thief more. My favorite stories were the ones with happy endings. I liked when the princess met her prince, I liked when the orphan found refuge, and I liked Mel Brooks movies because Mel Brooks is hilarious. I didn't understand half of Young Frankenstein when I first saw it, but I knew that shit was funny. <laughs> I did not like when, things, when bad things happened, even when it was just for a little while, even when I knew it would be all right in the end. 
Fights and shattered glass and slurred words were part of the real world. I didn't want that in my stories, and I kept it out of my diary. That changed when I was 10 years old. I was in the fifth grade, and I had befriended a boy named Dominic. I don't remember his last name, but it was vaguely Italian, and it started with a D. I know it started with a D because in my diaries I referred to him as Dominic D or Double D, which is pretty ironic considering what ended up ruining our friendship. I lived two blocks away from my elementary school. My home neighborhood was not dangerous per se, but it wasn't Mr. Rogers' neighborhood either. There was a house a few doors down that we lovingly called the Crack House because, well, the people smoke crack there. And around the corner from us lived a Russian family who had pheasants bobbing around in their front yard. One time, my cat Pretty Boy killed one of the Russian's pheasants and dragged its large corpse over two fences to get to our yard. It was an impressive sight, uh, my scraggly gray cat back hunched with the effort, hauling this plump bird, beak agape, elegant tail feathers snagging on chain link. I was also a little proud because a German shepherd guarded those pheasants, and there were also rabbits hopping around in the yard. But my cat said, nay, I believe I will feast on fowl today, rabbits, and uh, danger be damned. When my father saw what my cat had done, he was mortified. He quickly buried the bird in our backyard and commanded, I tell no one, because, and I quote, the Russians will be out for a blood debt. (laughs) Um, Regardless of the uh, vaguely seedy nature of my hometown, I walked to school every morning all by myself, undisturbed. But after school, Dominic and I walked together for a block until we had to turn our separate ways. And I looked forward to it most afternoons. He was a year younger than me, and we met playing Foursquare. Not to brag, but I was a top-notch four-square player. Um, Dominic was not very good, but, well, that's all right. We talked while we waited our turns in line, and he was funny. Uh, I don't remember the particulars of how he was funny, but it was probably because he could tell a good poop joke. Because, to be honest, that is still the quickest way to my heart. Uh, (laughs) We were walking. It was May, uh, getting close to my fifth grade graduation, and Double D and I walked in the rare Washington sunshine. I remember I was wearing oversized brown sandals because my mom thought I would grow into them, uh, knee-length cut-off shorts, and a stretchy dark red top. Needless to say, I was feeling pretty sassy. We came to our fork in the road, and there was an older woman waiting half a block away. Dominic abruptly said goodbye, something about his grandma waiting for him, and darted off. I thought it was a little weird, but boys are weird, so what else is new? I walked home and immediately threw my backpack on the floor, so I'd get ready for some PlayStation time. Then there was a knock on the door. Now, in 2016, as an adult person, when there's a knock on the door, I quietly slink into the furthest corner of whatever room I'm in and pretend I'm not home. Even if the windows are open and I was singing Baby Got Back at the top of my lungs only moments earlier. But I was young and foolish, and on that day when I was 10 and walked home with my friend, I thought nothing of setting aside my video game to answer a knock. 
When I opened the door, it was Dominic, and standing in front of him was the waiting woman, his grandmother. She had lizard-like blotched skin that creased in places like paper, lines mapping misuse of alcohol at the very least. Her breath reeked of a smell I knew so intimately, the potent lingering of liquor, and my mind immediately snapped to those still images of my father passed out drunk on the floor. I remember so distinctly yellow edges of her teeth and the gray skunk stripe of the roots at the top of her head she was trying to cover up with cardinal red hair dye. Something about her sent worry flashing down my spine, and I looked at Dominic, but he would not look at me. Who are you? she shouted. I was stunted by silence, and so she said again, Who are you? I'm Irene, I replied. It pains modern-day me to think about this moment when I could have called out or screamed like I was being hurt or yelled, I'm the badass bitch who lives in this house. Who the fuck are you? (laughs) Anything, anything, instead of standing there and allowing a stranger to berate me at my own doorstep. But I'm not mad at little Irene. She was only doing what society told her to do, stand there and listen to dipshit grown-ups like a good little girl. How old are you? She asked me. I'm 10, I said quietly, dutifully respecting the question of a piece of human filth parading around as an authoritative adult. (laughs) Bullshit, she yelled. How old are you? And I said, I'm 10. She looked me up and down, a snarl on her lips, and she said, you got big tits for a 10-year-old. Yeah. I remember almost nothing else. An, An instant wash of shame fell over me, and I stood there, and she yelled, and Dominic stared at the porch floor. Finally, she grabbed Dominic's arm, pointed a twisted finger at me, and said, you stay away from my grandson. I closed the door, And I walked to my bedroom, and I cried. Now, you may be wondering, where the fuck were her parents? A good question, but they both have alibis. My mom was working overtime, barely making ends meet at a desk job, and my father was sleeping away his way through the realization that just because you sober up doesn't mean life gets any better. I was on my own a lot as a kid, and for the most part, I didn't mind because I had a lot of stories to keep me company. However, for this particular incident, even made-up stories would not do. It kept replaying in my head, you got big tits for a 10-year-old, you got big tits for a 10-year-old, you got big tits for a 10-year-old. Just that statement again and again, and I wondered, were they bad? Were boobs or tits wrong? I thought they were supposed to be good. I thought they were supposed to be fun and funny. I mean, I had the whole young Frankenstein, what knockers? Thank you, doctor. Joke down. And it's not like I was a girl gone wild at 10 years old. My favorite shirts were turtlenecks. I had 10 different colored turtleneck sweaters. What was I supposed to do? It's not like I sidled up to God's salad bar and ordered two sides of tatas just for funsies. You can't accuse someone of having big breasts. That's like calling your lanky friend out for having a big nose. What the hell, Thomas? When did that honking schnoz come from? Eventually, my mom came home 
and I told her what happened. She got angry at me because I had answered the door all by myself, surprise, and angry at my father for what I'm sure was a list of grievances that were totally justified. My mom said she would call the school and tell the principal what happened, but there was nothing more she could do. That wasn't true, of course, because she could have found where this granny lived and murdered her, but uh, I cut my mom some slack. The next day was Saturday, and my mom headed to work early, as she always did. Soon after she left, there was a knock on the door. This time, my father answered it. He was still up because he hadn't gone to bed yet for the night. I came and stood beside him and found Dominic standing behind his mother. His mother apologized. She said her mother had a drinking problem and was overprotective. And my father asked her lamely if she would like to see my birth certificate. And even at that tender age, I thought, Dad, what the fuck? That's the best you can do? Do you want to see my social security card, too? The worst part, though, was that Dominic wouldn't look me in the eye. And I knew he wouldn't talk to me again. All that day, after Dominic and his mother had left, the words kept running through my head. You got big tits for a 10-year-old. And when mom came home, I told her I couldn't stop thinking about it, couldn't stop feeling embarrassed and ashamed. Every few minutes, I was interrupted by the judgment of an old drunk. And my mom said, write it down. I didn't want to, but part of me knew writing it would be the only way to let it go. If I put it on paper, I wouldn't be obligated to keep it in my head anymore. So, grudgingly, I cataloged the situation, down to her foul breath and scraggly hair. I set it down, all the details I could recall. And in the end, I wrote, But I am graduating elementary school soon, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) There is an old saying, The pen is mightier than the sword, which I thought was bullshit the moment my father pontificated it to me as a child. There's no way a pen is mightier than a sword. A sword kills people. A pen can't kill someone unless you pull a Dark Knight Rises Joker slamming some scumbags head down on a pencil move, only, like, with a pen. But, like all old sayings, there's some truth in it. A pen, like a sword, is only as effective as its wielder. And let's say the sword isn't just a sword, but a representation of all weapons in general then even if the weapon, a sword, is held by the best swordsman in the world, the worst he can do is torture and threaten and kill. If that is the case, then of course the pen is mightier, because the pen can do so much more. Depending on the wielder, a pen can rebuke, rebuff, scam. A pen can produce the poetry of love and avarice and envy, make peace and build civilizations. A pen can do little things, too, that a sword could never dream like consoling a little girl's heart after a moment of unkindness. Thank you. Narrators is produced by Robert Rutherford, Mary Robertson, Aaron Rollman, and me, Ron Doyle. Our intern is Sydney Crane. Our theme music is by Whalehawk. And our founder and executive producer is Andrew Orvidal. A very special thanks to our amazing sponsors, Legal Pete's, Greater Than Records, Sexy Pizza, Sexbot Comedy, From the Hip Photo, and Breckenridge Brewery. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And join us at one of our live monthly shows, which take place every second Tuesday of the month at Tiger Tiger Tavern in San Diego, California, and every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theater in Denver, Colorado. 
Both shows start at 8 p.m. and are always free to attend. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter. And for past episodes, photos from our live shows, and a list of our upcoming events and themes, please visit thenarrators.org. Thanks for listening.